Hey guys, so welcome back to Open to Work. That's the name of the podcast now, I've decided. I kind of like it. In fact, I kind of love it because I kind of built that off of the Open to Work function on LinkedIn and how it didn't work for me. So, (laughs) just kidding. It's kind of like a play on, yes, not having a job, but also like I'm working on myself, you know, like trying to be a better person. But anyway, I'm Eileen and... Today I want to get into a heavier topic. It's not too heavy, it's just uh, something that's been on my mind recently, which is generational trauma. So what is generational trauma? So the easy definition is it's the transmission of the oppressive or traumatic effects of a historical event. For instance, the Holocaust is a pretty uh, substantial example. Systemic racism is a big one for a lot of oppressed populations, but essentially it explains how um, certain traumas and behaviors are passed down through multiple generations of families. So this can apply to any group of people. In fact, it probably applies to most people, but right now I'm going to focus on my experience and what I've seen in Vietnamese immigrants because my parents are both from Vietnam and obviously like my entire family is Vietnamese. So I've seen firsthand how generational trauma can manifest and even the causes of it because it's really interesting to just understand where my parents or where the refugees came, like, you know, why they are the way they are, I guess, and just kind of understand it better. So first of all, the effects of war are devastating, obviously. I mean, that's a given. But for the children especially, they're exposed to these crazy situations that, like, they never would have even imagined. Like, their whole town is getting blown up and then they have to leave their country for a totally foreign place that they don't even speak the language and the people look nothing like them. Like, that in and of itself is traumatic. But also, keep in mind, whenever a lot of these immigrants came to America, they couldn't bring any of their money, so they were extremely poor. So seeing your parents, as a child, seeing your parents dealing with poverty and just struggling... You don't have that secure base, you know, for comfort because your own parents are struggling. They have to deal with not only their problems, but they have to keep their family safe. So it's definitely, it's a situation of survival. You know, you're in survival mode, which makes sense. But the effects of war on children is not really studied very much. But there have been studies on the children of American veterans that had PTSD from the Vietnam War. And the consensus was pretty much that children of PTSD fathers were a lot more likely to exhibit inadequate levels of self-control, which resulted in various externalizing problems like aggression, problems in school, like just like, you know, being kind of a troublemaker, quote unquote troublemaker. But it makes sense because the trauma that their father received during the war, it affected the way they acted and treated their children. But I can only imagine the effects on the actual children that were in the war, that experienced it firsthand. You know, it must be a lot worse. That makes it really difficult for these children to have an environment where they can foster healthy cognitive and social development and where they can they can learn how to navigate social relationships and the world in a healthy way, you know, because they couldn't learn that. But also, this is a big thing that I've been learning about recently is nervous system regulation. Whenever you're exposed to such like extreme violence and trauma at that age, especially in war, your, your um, nervous system gets stuck in fight or flight where it's a lot easier to, um, I mean, fight or flight is good whenever you are in like a dangerous situation because it helps you get out of there, you know? 
but if you're stuck in this fight or flight mode for too long, your body gets kind of used to it and it's hard to go back to a homeostasis, like a calm resting nervous system state, which is ideal for like connecting with others, for grounding, and just like for being present and in the moment, you know? This sort of calmness is hard to attain if you're constantly in fight or flight. And another kind of issue is for a lot of people with uh, PTSD, they kind of vacillate between fight or flight or freeze, which is, freeze is kind of associated with depression, dissociation, feeling numb or helpless or just kind of sad and just feeling down. So fight or flight is whenever you're like up and then freeze is when you're like really down and immobilized. But in the in the middle would be a, a healthy, calm state, which is uh, kind of the goal, you know, because that, that helps people be more compassionate towards others and it helps you just have healthier relationships. And, you know, a lot of a lot of this nervous system healing, it starts in therapy, realizing like how much stress that you might be dealing with throughout the day and then learning to employ calming techniques like um, grounding work, breath work. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's a lot more stuff you can do, but you should probably talk to your own doctor or therapist first. I'm just a I was just a psychology minor, all right? I don't know much. But when you're in a dysregulated state and you're kind of stuck in this feeling of hypervigilance, you just like can't relax. I know how that feels. I used to be super, I mean, I still am super jumpy. Like if someone like popped into my room unexpectedly, I would scream, you know, I would just like in my heart would be pounding. But whenever you're in this state and you, you feel like you can't calm down, you know, you're stuck in your head or whatever. What's a quick and easily accessible thing to do when you can't seem to, you know, turn your body or your thoughts off? For me... And other people, I'm sure, alcohol and other addictions are pretty much the number one killer, I guess. I was going to say not really killer, but no, it is a killer. Like, oh my gosh, it's like poison. So I remember whenever I was in college, early college, whenever I was really just anxious or, you know, worried about something and I just couldn't fall asleep at night, what would I do? I would grab a bottle of vodka from the freezer and just drink it and it would, it would calm me down. Until, you know, eventually what goes up must come down, right? I would like wake up the next day feeling even worse. I was even more anxious or I was even more depressed. But like at the time, I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I don't want to feel this bad anymore. I will do anything just to feel better right now. And that is like the root cause of a lot of addictions is a dysregulated nervous system. So it was either fight or flight or numbing with alcohol or it can be any other drug just to escape what you're feeling. So some people, they smoke weed, you know, it helps you kind of numb out that feeling of fear. So that makes you go into freeze mode. I'd rather feel shut down and nothing than to feel how bad I did in the moment. So I was constantly vacillating between fight or flight and freeze, but never in that happy medium where I could just relax and just be in the moment, you know, it was just always too much or too little. And I know a lot of people, that's just like a constant cycle in their life. And it's hard, man, but just know that you can get through this. It just takes, it takes time. That's the problem. Healing takes time, unfortunately. Anyway, um, I recently read a book by Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's the holistic psychologist on Instagram. She has this book called How to Do the Work. And she kind of talks about how there are studies that show that the children of trauma survivors, including those who have endured ongoing systemic racism, they have shown health issues similar to those of their parents, as well as increased rates of many diseases. So they've proven that these genes of like trauma or like stress responses, 
it can be inherited and also, you know, the way your parents raise you, if they're super um, on edge all the time, that can have an impact on you too because, you know, children are very reliant on their parents. So it's a mixture of genes and environment, but also she talks about how just because some of it can be genetic, you're not doomed because your parents and your grandparents had these cycles of trauma or whatever. You're not doomed to your fate. It takes just one person realizing that an issue needs to be dealt with. And then you just got to like slowly learn to create safety and security in your life and just be aware of, you know, the patterns that you engage in. It really just takes an awareness of how you behave and maybe just stepping back and like before you automatically do something, think, okay, why am I doing this? What is the deeper reasoning? Like, am I trying to escape from some sort of feeling? Just be more aware of your own thought patterns. And that's how I've been starting. And I'm, I think I'm in a really good place. I mean, I wouldn't say really good, but better place than I would have imagined, you know? Anyway, all of this to say, you know, after all the, just all the issues we have of hatred in this world today, not even racism, like homophobia, just all these groups pitted against each other and then also the war in Ukraine I can only imagine the effects that this will have on children and refugees in like you know 10-15 years time so I think a huge thing that we need to work on in America and I mean obviously the whole world but we should we got to start somewhere we need to change something in the schooling system where children are taught how to learn about their emotions early on they can learn how to like label the emotions they're feeling you know, see where you feel, like, whenever you're angry, where do you feel in your body? For instance, I never really, like, I knew how I felt in my body, but I didn't know how that correlated with my emotions. I just knew that every time I get mad at someone, my heart would start beating really fast before, and, like, maybe my cheeks would get really hot or something. But, like, I didn't have any correlation. I was just, like, very unconscious. Once I felt an emotion, I would just act on it, you know? Another example is, I remember I used to, like, take a lot of deep breaths throughout the day. It sounded like a really loud sigh, like, <sighs> like one of those. I used to do it a lot, and my friends would always ask, like, are you okay? And I would be like, I'm fine. Like, my, my chest is just really tight right now. You know, I never knew why. I was just like, yeah, I just get a tight chest sometimes. And now that I've learned more about it, a tight chest is, like, anxiety or worry. If I knew what these feelings meant, maybe I could have employed better ways of, like, soothing myself emotionally. Teaching children how to label their emotions and then teaching children how to deal with them in a healthy way instead of, you know, like the externalizing problems or, you know, acting out in class. Like it all starts with just healthy communication and education. This, this would change people's lives. If children learned how to deal with their emotions early on, this could help with problems like addiction, interpersonal violence, relationship problems even. The issue is teachers are already paid like peanuts. I know my friend from back home, she just graduated college and she is an assistant teacher. I don't know if she's gonna be okay with me telling this, I'm sure I'll ask her, but she's paid $12,000 a year. And obviously she's not like a, like a, she's just an assistant teacher. She'll be a, a normal, like a regular teacher, I think next year, but she's there the same amount of hours, if not more as the teachers and she only gets paid $12,000. But also, if you want teachers to have the training to teach children like about emotional regulation and all this stuff, you need to give them the proper training, but no one wants to get that training if you don't pay them anything. There just needs to be a whole reform in the education system. 
But I'm going to get off that rant because I'm not saying anything new here. I think we all know this. It's either they externalize it or they repress it until it eventually leads to mental health conditions or, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms, like I said, like drugs, alcohol, delinquency and behavior issues and, you know, the like. But it's important to acknowledge that it's not just drugs and alcohol that people are addicted to. Like, it can be anything. It can be, I mean, gambling. It can be cell phone addiction, which I think is super common in our world today. But I think it's more normalized because I guess you have to be on your phone for certain reasons. I don't know. But anything that you're addicted to as a means to escape deeper feelings, that is what I'm talking about right now. Binge eating, that's a big one for sure. Just any, like, relationship with food that's kind of controlling, you know? It all comes back to regulating and validating your own emotions, you know? But it's something that has to be taught. It's not something you can just understand on your own. It's, yeah. And I think a really prevalent mentality, not just among immigrants, but even, like, just the older generations, is that, like, yeah, like, traumatic stuff happens to you, but it happens to everyone. You know, it's normal. You just got to deal with it on your own. But the thing is, yeah, it might be, I guess, normal to be traumatized, but if it's, like, affecting your life and the people around you, and it's also manifesting in mental health issues that can also lead to, like, physical issues, because a lot of times, like, depression, anxiety and other things like that, it can lead to, like, health issues, and, like, your body starts to deteriorate. It's not just, oh, I'm, you're sad sometimes. Like, it's very profound. That's why I think it's super important to, you don't have to go to a therapist per se, just maybe start to learn more about yourself and learn more about the patterns that, you know, aren't so beneficial that you may have learned from your parents or from your community. And, you know, those those coping mechanisms may have been beneficial for whoever at a certain time, but, you know, they're maladaptive. And if you're in a healthier, safe environment, if you still have these ways of thinking and behaving, it it's really hard to foster a healthy and stable relationship with not just yourself, but the whole world and the people around you and your loved ones. So, you know, it's just a really important thing to focus on, I think. I know a lot of parents, they say, you know, everyone has their trauma, you just got to deal with it. And they kind of don't like showing the world that, you know, they're not perfect. But I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, value in being open about your struggles. You know, obviously don't talk about it. You don't have to talk about it all the time and like advertise it. But and I guess in a way, that's that's how they view it, because something that should be just kept under wraps. You know, you need to look perfect. Like you have your shit together. And that makes sense from, you know, kind of that prideful standpoint. But at a certain point, if everyone in your family now has a mental illness or they're like struggling in some way due to the way the family has always navigated the world, then I think it might be time to start looking into mental health resources just to see like what can help you. But I'm kind of tired now, so I'm going to wrap things up. Thanks for listening, you guys. And be sure to follow this podcast um, so it'll notify you if I post anything because knowing me, it'll be very irregular and sporadic. So that'll help you be notified. All right. See you guys next time. Bye.